In past episodes, we've talked about advancing your content marketing strategy using predictive analytics and machine learning technology, but we haven't really looked into how machine learning is revolutionizing search. Why is this important, you ask? Well, how do you find the information, the stats, quotes, and answers to your questions when it comes to producing your content strategy? We address this and much, much more in this episode of the Content Marketing for the Future podcast. Hello once again to another episode of the Content Marketing for the Future podcast. I'm your host, Amanda, the Marketing Coordinator for Atomic Reach. Every other week, we interview industry pros to help us discover new strategies and intelligent tools for modern marketers. Today's guest is the CEO of Stone Temple Consulting at the top of his game when it comes to creating edutaining videos on SEO, content marketing, and social media. Providing digital marketing services since 2002, let's welcome Eric Enga. Hi, Eric. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Sorry for being last minute. Let me just close my door real quick. So, uh, how are you doing today? Looking forward to the Thanksgiving holiday. Yeah, I bet. Ours was way back in October, and I'm kind of jealous you guys have it in uh, November, a lot closer to Christmas. Ah, <laughs> uh, so you're up in Canada then. Yes, we are. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out to talk about uh, machine learning and SEO today. Happy to do that. <laughs> Great. Just to get started, when did you start taking notice of machine learning in search and SEO? Well, I actually uh, first became aware of machine learning and uh, search more broadly in, uh, I want to say, 2011. In fact, if you hear a little typing, it's because I'm looking up an interview I did with Google's Peter Norvig. It turns out that Google Translate is built using machine learning. So what they did is they... Uh, In crawling the web, they noticed the websites that had multiple language versions, and they did an analysis of each of the the languages and learned how to translate from one language to another by examining all those websites. And and so it sort of struck me, the enormous power of machine learning, because that's a very complicated computing task. And at the time, I didn't actually understand the mechanics of what machine learning did and how it functions. I know much more about that today, but it certainly struck me that, wow, this is amazing that they were able to build Google Translate this way completely automatically and effectively handle almost really any language which has enough web pages out there about it. So have you used Google Translate anywhere? Uh, Well, I mean, I've used it occasionally just surfing the web and seeing, uh, you know, pages that are, uh, you know, indexed and... uh, you know, just wanting the foreign language pages and wanting to change the pages. So after taking university level course in machine learning and then writing your own machine learning programs, how would you explain machine learning's impact on search and SEO to markers who are new or newish to the concept? Well, it's important to understand a little bit about the capabilities of machine learning, first of all, because it will help people have more intuition for how it might impact search. Currently, when people talk about machine learning, they talk about something that has the relative intelligence of maybe a two-year-old in terms of, you know, its knowledge base. And that's 
somewhat accurate, but it's a little bit more accurate to say that we're able to apply machine learning to certain kinds of problems which you can handle very, very well. So an example is if I wanted an algorithm to calculate the pricing of real estate, and I had a data table that showed the square footage of a large number of houses and the prices they sold for, I could probably derive a fairly simple algorithm to do that. But the reality is that house prices vary by more than square footage of the house. Number of bedrooms, number of bathrooms, the lot size, where in the world they are, you know, something in Canada, in say Toronto, is gonna be priced differently than something in the middle of Saskatchewan. But not for machine learning. You could build a rich database with all the locations of places and, and again, the lot size, number of houses, number of bathrooms, uh, house age, square footage, you know, all these sorts of things. You know, does it have features like pool or, or whatever? And the machine learning algorithm can be used to create a formula for all that. Mm-hmm. And so it's able to handle that kind of problem very, very well. But it's extremely dependent on the quality of the input data. And the reason why I walked you through all that is there are people out there who will tell you that machine learning has already taken over the entire Google algorithm and it's going to change everything forever about how it works. <laughs> and that's not what's going to happen. In fact, machine learning algorithms are still going to want quality content. Mm-hmm. And machine learning algorithms are still going to want to understand the most authoritative pages on the web and authority is still best determined by links. And machine learning algorithms are gonna wanna try to figure out user engagement and get user input into what are the best pages. And you know those are sort of uh, newish sort of algorithms. Although Google has some of those today already too. But it's not like there's gonna be some new magic. So in fact, the other thing to realize is that it's very expensive and complicated to implement a machine learning algorithm. And training uh, an algorithm can take months or even years. So you don't just suddenly replace every human-generated algorithm out there with a machine learning-based one. Mm -hmm. It's impractical. (laughs) So what will happen, and is happening, is that Google will solve very specific problems with machine learning. And there'll be problems where they can get extremely good quality input to train the algorithm. Mm -hmm. And if they can train the algorithm within a reasonable period of time, and if they can layer in and make make it as an enhancement to existing algorithms. So one of the things that I didn't say there is they're gonna take perfectly good working algorithms like Panda and throw it out and replace it with machine learning algorithms. (laughs) That's not going to happen. (laughs) So, I have a question regarding the length of time it takes. You say it takes a bit of time for it to process the amount of data to give you quality output. So is there a way that we could speed that time up and that cost less? Well, so I'll I'll illustrate with an example. Uh, One of the machine learning algorithms I produced, it was really meant as an exercise in learning for me, so it's not the most useful tool in the world. but. I created a little tool that allows you to predict the chances that one of your tweets will get retweets. Oh, wow. 
Interesting. Uh, and the inputs were things like, you know, what's my social authority using uh, follower wonk social authority as a measurement? Mm -hmm. Am I mentioning other people? Am I including links? How long is the tweet? Does it have an image? These kinds of things are all the inputs, right? Mm, yeah. And to do that, I looked at data from, I forget how many tweets, it was just like a million and a half sample tweets. And the calculation to do the training of the algorithm, it required 48 billion calculations. Wow. Okay. Not a little number there. <laughs> no. And that took pretty powerful computer only a few days to do. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Contrast that to Google who might be trying to tweak some aspect of how they perform you know, ranking uh, on a global basis. Like, uh, I believe the latest figure is they have something like 130 trillion pages in their index. And they know of many more hundreds of trillions of pages than that. Just <laughs> they don't bother with them because they're not seen as important enough. Mm -hmm. So we went from my you know, million and a half tweets to 130 trillion web pages. So, you know, you're, you're talking about a scale, which is so large that, of course, you try to throw more computing power at it mm -hmm. if you were to try to do something on a completely global scale. Or, if you're smarter about it, is you take some subset of the algorithm, which is a much simpler calculation. And this gets to your question, uh, Amanda, and, and also what I was just saying a moment ago. Instead of thinking that you're going to throw out the entire search algorithm, replace it with a machine algorithm, you find spot places where you can use it to make material improvements. Right, okay. And those become simpler calculations that are easier to do, and maybe you know, your calculation can complete you know, in a month or a week or something, depending on the nature of the problem. Oh, okay. So you mentioned Follower Wonk and then Google. So what other companies are using machine learning and what have been some of the coolest applications you've come across? Well, uh, you know, Facebook is certainly using it. Microsoft is using it. Apple is using it. I'm going to conjecture or guess that it's involved in Siri. I, I don't know that 100% for sure, but... Uh, it's a bit spotty, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, too. I've tried to use Siri, and sometimes my recommendations aren't what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah. But also, uh, if you're on Netflix, for example, right. you see that it recommends some movies for you. Mm -hmm. That's an example of machine learning algorithm called a recommender system. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it looks at the historical movies that you've watched, and then it sees what other people have seen similar movies and finds out what movies they've watched that you haven't. Hmm. And it will, it's kind of like Amazon has had for years this thing about people who bought this also bought that. Right. That's another kind of recommender system. So that's a very cool retail application for machine learning. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very, very effective. It, uh, brings revenue up for those companies substantially because they're able to do a lot more follow-on sales because they find out what people you're similar to and what other things those people have purchased that you haven't. 
and that's what they recommend. Yeah, I've definitely been subject to some of those recommendations out of just searching for, let's say, some Thanksgiving recipes. And they say, oh, these have been popular among our audience or among your followers. And I just click through them without even thinking. <laughs> yes. So for every marketer out there, we want our content to rank, be found in search, and produce engagement. It seems like we're always chasing after Google's latest changes to its algorithm when it comes to search. But what about SEO? What uh, new practices should we be adding to our content crafting practices in addition to long tail keywords and quality content? Do you think keywords will still hold the same authority going into the next year? So um, I, I think what we want to do is we want to get pe people to think about keywords the right way. Old school SEO would have told us things like, you know, uh, you do keyword research so you can jam it in the title tag and heading tags and <laughs> make sure you use it a certain number of times on the page and things like that. Yep. But, but let's go back into the past for 30 years, okay. back to 1986. Okay. Imagine if you walked up to a marketer then and told them that you could give them data on what language people were using to talk about products like theirs. Mm -hmm. Like what words do they use to describe this problem? Or uh, uh, you know, what are the things that they use to refer to this class of products? And if you told them that you could hand them a database with information like that, they would have fallen down and died with joy. <laughs> because it teaches you the language your customers are using mm -hmm. or your prospects are using. So. So keywords are going to remain important. And even at the base level, by the way, the title tag of your documents, or your web pages are still going to remain important because they're used like labels. They say what the page is about. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter whether it's a machine learning algorithm or a hand-generated algorithm or some future algorithm we don't know about. Understanding the topic of something is still going to matter a lot. So it's a, it's a core human need that the way that we choose to satisfy the need won't change, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So I think that's really important to, to, to think about. So I do think keywords will remain important. What I do think is going to become a much bigger factor and where I bet there's a lot of investments going on is various ways to capture user sentiment or user engagement with your site and your pages. Uh, and, you know, unfortunately, it's, you know, it's not 1998 <laughs> where we can go read the Google PageRank patent <laughs> and, and get an essence of the details of how the search algorithm works. So in the area of user engagement, we're not going to get to know what particular things search engines trigger on. We, we will see many people publish articles saying it's, it's this, it's click-through rate, it's something else. Right. And, and they'll offer this proof. I'm holding up my fingers and doing air quotes. <laughs> and what they're showing is correlations. Yeah. They're showing that content that you know, has higher click-through rates tends to have higher rankings. And that's probably true because it's in Google's interest to a degree to have that be a higher correlation. But it doesn't mean that it's click-through rate specifically that causes it. It means it's something that something that causes users to like pages better is likely at work. But they may be measuring other signals that have the same impact. Right. So 
and I'll give you another analogy just so it will help people cement it. Mm-hmm. It's been long known that, you know, drowning deaths and consuming ice cream are strongly correlated with one another. But that doesn't mean that eating ice cream causes drowning, and it certainly doesn't mean drowning causes eating ice cream. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, both those things happen when it's hot outside. Oh, I see. Okay. That's a correlation. Mm-hmm. So the click-through rate or other specific user engagement signals aren't uh, necessarily exactly what they're using, although they are things that they're optimizing for. Right. And that's, that's a very different thing. But what it means in terms of the advice that you're asking me to, to give to the listeners or readers is really work at improving the user experiences on your site. It's a big deal. And you're not going to get to know exactly what three things are the specific things that Google's measuring. That's not available to you. But you know if you provide a superior experience in your site, your site becomes more desirable for the search engines to rank high. What sort of user experiences do you recommend people start thinking about? What are some tips to get them there? Well, the first one is when you're modifying your site and doing new releases of your site, uh, turn off your laptop and pick up your mobile phone and analyze it that way. Hmm, okay. Because I can't tell you how many sites I've talked to in the past three months, 60% of their traffic is from smartphones or 70% of their traffic is from smartphones. I mean, we're long past the point where we should be talking about the mobile revolution is coming. It's here. It's here, definitely, yeah. If the primary way you're looking at and analyzing your site is on a laptop, then you're doing it wrong. (laughs) So that will lead to some very interesting user experiences for you, which is you're going to notice that it's very important to have a concise way of presenting your content and making it accessible to users in a smartphone format, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely some limitations to how you go about doing that. So that's really important to get your, your arms around. You're going to want uh, clickable elements. So instead of having you know, a 250-word description or a 100-word description of something, <laughs> You'll have two sentences and something you can click to open up the rest of it if they want that. So interactivity. Yeah, so there's going to be a need for a lot of that. Uh, so that that's my most important tip. But then I'll give a second one, which is realize that people, that they might arrive at a page on your site. And let's say it's your, uh, I always use this example, it's your oil filters page, if you have one. You're selling oil filters on this page. and. Well, you should talk about oil filters of the page. That seems fairly smart idea, right? <laughs> um, um, but they have other needs. Mm-hmm. They, they might need a manual to make sure they're buying the right oil filter. I see. Uh, and by the way, usually with oil filters, you also need oil. Uh, you might need an oil filter wrench. And, uh, um, and so there are those very basic related needs. Mm-hmm. And then there's realizing that they care about other things. Uh, obviously, there needs to be a way to buy a shopping cart price. They want to see your privacy policy. They want about us information. They might want related products. If they're working on their car this coming Saturday, they might also want windshield wipers. Right. So all these things kind of come together into uh, one picture where you have to view your pages more holistically in order to satisfy a larger percentage of the users that come to them. Hmm. 
we're actually redesigning our website right now and to think of it as a page by page type of situation doesn't seem like an experience right you'd have to think of it as a whole story i guess you can put it as because when we're on mobile we just keep scrolling down you're probably not going to go to another page so everything yeah, should no, be on I... that one part of your website i think yep so going back to machine learning you the quality of content or, or uh, measuring quality content will help us get better feedback as to how to improve. Do you think there will be some sort of point where everyone is now creating quality content with the help of algorithms and the help of great writers? What do you think is going to happen if we, or if or when we reach that point? Well, yeah, I mean, I do think that there will be some leading players who gain an edge on this. And, and start pushing content quality to that next level. And there's already people who do it, of course. Amazon uh, has been doing a lot of this for a long, long time. In their case, they make excellent use of user reviews, for example. Mm-hmm. And they're able to scale user reviews in way that's, ways that others can't. I, I really think that businesses that don't put an appropriate focus in this are at serious risk at least in terms of gaining revenue from digital marketing. And I I think it's a very, very serious deal because it matters not just to Google, it clearly matters to Microsoft and Bing, it matters to Apple, it matters to Facebook. Mm -hmm. Everybody is going to want to reward the pages that create the best results for their users that they send there. You know, it's, it's a tidal wave coming. It's really critical to get your arms around this notion. And it doesn't necessarily mean huge blocks of text. It could be the right uses of videos and images. And when we're talking about content, we, you know, we really mean the overall experience. Right. So it's UX and content together. It, it's a win or lose proposition, right? Right. Yeah, so. so you're saying basically get on the ship or you'll be in the water. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. Mm-hmm. It's a really going to be a pretty disruptive set of circumstances you know, that unfolds over the next few years. Hmm. Okay, so word of caution to our listeners. Um, and on to, I guess, our last question. Um, how has your in-depth knowledge of machine learning helped your business? And would you recommend the same path for marketers and business owners? So, you know, we're, we're a digital marketing agency. And, you know, the, we, we have a theme here at, at Stone Temple, which is exemplified by uh, one of the, a wall in our kitchen area, and that wall has a large depiction of a wave on it with a person on a, a surfboard. <laughs> and the person on the surfboard is us, and it's our job to stay ahead of the wave, basically. That's the message. Mm. So there's certain businesses where staying ahead of the wave is very, very important. So for us, it's critical to, to sort of our messaging and what we're about. Right. Um, you know, if you're the neighborhood law firm or uh, barbershop or retail store, you know, uh, a local a mom and pop retail store, I don't think you need to know anything about machine learning. If you're a larger scale enterprise and you're doing a lot in digital marketing, then I think you need to be at least knowledgeable about what machine learning's impact is going to be and how things will transform and already gave the example of recommender systems that uh, you should probably be using on your site, which means you would be deploying machine learning. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you're in a, 
involved in apps or you know any number of digital marketing related areas I think you need to to, to at least be knowledgeable about it uh, I guess I would recommend it for a lot of people not everybody needs to know it but if you're kind of pushing aggressive consumer marketing and or you know in, in a marketing space yourself then I think you need to be very conversant with it mm-hmm all right. Well, before we leave off, what is your top tip for content optimization going into 2017? Spend more time on it. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't uh, agree more. <laughs> so uh, I'll give you a quick little case study. Uh, so we, uh, for one of our clients, uh, we had a group of pages that on their site that had content on it already. It had a block of content of a couple hundred words and using kind of old school SEO, it had been implemented, I'm going to use my air quotes again, as SEO text. Okay. Just there for search engines to consume so that, you know, with the hope that they might see various words in it and rank it for more related search terms. Oh no. <laughs> so we took these blocks of text and we threw them out and replaced them with our own blocks of text, okay. which were similar in length. Uh-huh. But instead, we wrote it as a guide, hmm. a useful kind of mini buyer's guide to people on the page and uh, helping them think about how to make selections and using my oil filters example, you know, by the way, if you're working on your car today, other things you might want are windshield wipers, uh, you know, other things that people might do, air filters for, you know, routine car maintenance. And so we implemented these little you know, buying guide type concepts on the pages. The pages we worked on went up 68% in traffic. Wow. Uh, the pages we did not work on went down 11 <laughs> Okay, so okay. Um, so it had a very meaningful impact. So the whole thing is that when we approached the content to the pages, we did it from a perspective of, let's not put this content here for search engines. Let's make it a better page mm-hmm. and better for users, but do that using text as a means. And that's to some degree, you know, a concession to search engines can search engines consume text better than other media still, but then using the placement of that so that it worked in the overall UX experience of the page, it worked great. So I'll go back to the way I worded the tip in the beginning, spend more time on it. <laughs> That's a good summary and a really great example. I think everyone can relate to something like that as approaching the content on your page, not just for the search, but for the people who actually come to your website. You got it. <laughs> Well, Eric, thanks so much for helping us understand how machine learning relates to SEO and search. It's still such a new concept for marketers, but I think we're closer to understanding what it is now. Yes, indeed. Well, uh, thanks for having me on, and hopefully it was helpful to everybody. So, listeners, that concludes this episode of the Content Marketing for the Future podcast. We hope you found Eric's info as helpful as we did when it comes to your own SEO and search strategies. For Eric, knowledge was definitely power, and we hope that you were able to harness this knowledge for yourselves. I really want to thank you for tuning in, whether you're a new or seasoned listener. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and blog for new episodes and recaps. 
Don't forget, you can follow and share your thoughts with Eric on Twitter at Stone Temple and with us on Atomic underscore Reach. See you all next time. This has been Amanda from Atomic Reach.